Hello everyone and welcome to part two of Digital Ethics Now, where once more I'm joined by Dr. Sergio Coronado, who uh, is the creator of the Luxembourg Tech School, and also Nathan Summers, who is a recent graduate of Cognitive Science at UCLA in California. Welcome back to you both. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to stay with gaming in this episode and we're going to dig into a very important aspect of it, which is the addictive nature of gaming. And just to start a disclaimer, we are not mental health experts. We're not trying to advise people. We're just opening up the ethical discussion on this subject. So Nathan, starting straight in with you, addiction, what are the potential issues here? What kinds of behaviors would you see as potentially game addiction. Right. So I think the first thing that's important to talk about there is that both the World Health Organization and the American Psychological Association have definitions for video game addiction as an actual diagnosable condition. Um, it's not exceedingly common. It's only found in about 3.1% of the population. However, with how big gaming's become, 3.1% is not an insignificant portion. So it's certainly something that bears discussion. Defining these behaviors are a little bit more of a complicated issue and ones that, in my opinion, should be left to a um, mental health professional or uh, an expert in this field. And turning to you, Sergio, when it comes to the, the personality type that might become addicted, are there any kind of comorbidities we could look for? Yes, I mean, the, there is always comorbidity uh, in, around addictions, you know. Uh, an addiction on, on, on alcohol or, or a social behavior that, that you don't try to communicate, you know, you're a very close person can also connect you to, to escape on, on video game. Video game can give you a channel when you can isolate and escape. And that is the, the, what we need to look. What is interesting is there is a lot of research on, on addiction. And this is why, as Nathan mentioned, it has been defined as a, as a, as a, as an issue, you know. Mm -hmm. that needs treatment and expert uh, advice. Yeah, and of course, people have been gaming so much in the past year, the COVID year, so to speak. It has been that escape from the mundaneness of life. So Nathan, turning to you once more, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. We have all wanted this escape. So there's a positivity there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the way that, the same way that you would escape into a good book or a good TV show or a good movie, you can escape into a good game too. The problem becomes when the escape is is more important or, or more pressing to you than real life matters. So when you start neglecting your personal health, when you start, uh, you know, neglecting certain responsibilities that you have in order to just obsessively play video games, then those might be certain red flags that you and your loved ones should be on the uh, on the lookout for. Mm -hmm. And we're going to just dive in with a couple of, of jargon-like words now, loot boxes and battle passes. So Nathan, again, I know you've done a lot of work on this, uh, read many, many scientific papers, but just for a more general audience who may not have come across these words, we know that businesses are making games to make money. What are loot boxes? What are battle passes? Right. So these are in-game mechanics that sort of they're, they're there to make money for the publishers the developers of the game and they work in a way that very much preys on addiction centers in the brain they can simulate gambling in certain ways or reward 
extensive, perhaps too overextensive play. So first let's talk about loot boxes. A good analogy for what a loot box is, is, is a, an old school pack of trading cards. But imagine that the cards that are inside can be determined or somehow uh, decided by a computer program, uh, an, an algorithm or, or whatever you would have. So um, certain games that display these kind of mechanics are Hearthstone, which is quite an easy game to pick up if parents want to maybe see what these mechanics are like. FIFA, which is a massive selling, massively selling game, also has these loot box mechanics. Uh, Counter-Strike and Apex Legends are all games that have these. Now, in certain EU countries, loot boxes have been banned. So here we can see a little bit of the uh, legislation catching up with new technology uh, because it does simulate gambling and it makes these gambling behaviors accessible to younger and younger children who would not be able to go into a casino legally. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting there, so you're thinking that already some parts of the EU are catching up with what is being programmed algorithmically into these systems. Yes, so it, it, it's a big debate still because um, you, you need to be an expert. So one of the issues we have with technology now is that the people like, like myself that has developed this technology is really high tech, it's rocket science, if, if you want to say. And then we have the regulators trying to regulate this very complex technology domain and you have no understanding. So, so what we need is a connection between the industry that is producing this, the society that is consuming it, and the regulators or, or the policymakers to have the discussion and see what elements are not good for the society. Mm -hmm. And and of course, that's why we're having this debate here, because it is upon all of us to become up to date with this knowledge as best as we can. So we've touched on loot boxes, they're battle passes. Right. So a battle pass is a little bit harder to define. There's not quite as clean of an analogy, but it's essentially a sort of VIP pass that uh, rewards you for playing the game more, potentially even rewards you for playing it daily. And it gives you certain exclusive uh, cosmetic items to be used in games. So certain examples of games that uh, display this mechanic are uh, Call of Duty, Fortnite, uh, most famously, but also uh, mobile games such as Clash of Clans, you know, which is quite an accessible game, something that parents could play on their iPhones or, or Android or wh whatever smart device they have um, to kind of get an impression of how this mechanic works. But it basically just rewards extensive, perhaps even overextensive play. Mm -hmm. So we have lots to think about in that, Sergio. Again, I'm turning to you to leave us with some positive information about the addictive nature of gaming, because when we hear the word addiction, we can't think of many positives. So tell me, why, why is gaming a good thing from the addiction point of view? Well, there, there is one... Of course, always depends what game you're playing. I mean, the quality of the game and, and, and what is the purpose of the game. But in gaming, you, you have this immersed world, okay? So, so of course, some of this immersed world, as Nathan explained, they will, they will drive you, and they have used psychologists to, to design these algorithms, they will drive you to stay playing forever if possible, you know? So that's when the notion of addiction will come. However, what is interesting in some of the immersed experience of this game is that probably there is a story and a mission that you have to accomplish, okay? Um, what you need to find out, what you need to help the people of around you is, is that they don't get attached to this mission 24 by 7, for example. 
I have I have that experience myself when I was in the university long time ago. Uh, the, one of the first version of Princess of Persia. <laughs> I played the game 24 hours, and I realized I said, "Oh, that's not good. You have to stop that." So I deleted the game at that time. Okay, that was the you know the the hard decision. But going back to the positive side is that a lot of this game has this immersive mission experience that you have to accomplish, which is very interesting because it gives you a purpose and an understanding of the mission. You just have to disconnect and you have to make, you have to set your own boundaries between the reality, you know, your, your daily life, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to work, you have to socialize and this virtual world. And that is what is important that, that we all learn when we do gaming to make this difference from the real world to the virtual world. Uh, in order to avoid potentially, uh, I wouldn't say addition, but also uh, excessive use. And I think you're, you're, you're formulating a question as you speak right there, bubbling up is naturally, I'm thinking we have on us the onus of knowing when to stop which perhaps as an adult we ought to have that defined boundary uh, more easily to come by but as an adolescent when your whole mind is developing they can't always do that. So Sergio, what is our homework this week? So the homework this week is, uh, is I, I would say like the last time, you know, it's more for, for parents to see the kid with their kids or, or, or teenagers and, and see those games and discuss those games and discuss even the time that they spend playing those games. Of course, we also have to understand that we're still in this, in this crisis with Kobe and, and gaming is also a social connection with friends because, you know, they get together to play and socialize, but we, we should have again the discussion about is it, if it's good play 20 hours a day or is normal to play two. So that is a discussion I will, I will leave as a question uh, for the parents to answer then, themselves, everybody's free to decide themselves, but especially have the conversation because ethics in general and digital ethics is about having a conversation about the potential issues and how to recognize them and potentially overcome them. And just throwing in another question, if I may, because I know you're a father to, to teens and I'm a, a mother to teens as well. I would like to throw the question out to all of your students as well at the Luxembourg Tech School to talk peer to peer about how many hours they think is appropriate, given all of the other pressures on them in their school life as well how many hours per day, per week is an acceptable number. And if they think 24 hours a day, like Sergio did once, <laughs> well, so be it, but they have to come up with reasons why. Thank you as always for listening. And naturally you can get in touch with us through the Luxembourg Tech School.